educators usually have another educator that they can say like this teacher really inspired me or really believed in me. Um, I didn't have that space. This is High Tech High Unboxed. I'm Alec Patton. And today it's my great pleasure to introduce a guest episode from one of my favorite podcasts, The Educated Guest Podcast, produced by Cesar Fernandez, Rodrigo Arancibia, and Ed Nunez. And just a heads up, like all Educated Guest episodes, this one contains some strong language. With that said, I'll let Cesar and Rodrigo explain what it's all about. I mean, it's just a chance for us as educators to to tell our stories. Um, that's how it started, you know, a bunch of equipment in a garage and let's give it a shot. Um, and, and, and slowly it's kind of just morphed into this, like anyone who's a game changer in communities and schools, we want to capture their story and their insight. Yeah, particularly like the people, the unsung folks, the people who aren't typically recognized. These are the basketball coaches, the expanded learning professionals, the, the community organizers, the activists. We want to hear those stories because those ones are the ones that typically uh, make the biggest impact, but often go the least recognized. Yeah. And I know that like, uh, Rodrigo, you were real incognito about who Caesar is last time we recorded this, but... Uh, Caesar, I'll let you introduce yourself however you see fit. I am a, uh, a father, a husband, an educator of 22 years, um, most of it in a secondary district here in San Diego, um, and I'm a math teacher. And Rodrigo, who are you? Yeah, so Rodrigo Aaron Sibia, I am the co-director for the Carpe College Access Network that's housed at the graduate school at Hatakai. But um, after school practitioner at heart and um, you know teacher and, and thoughtful listener. So <laughs> trying to make it so it's, it's all ambiguous so that people just don't necessarily uh, pin me down all the time, you know? What that, what that means is Rodrigo hasn't seen the inside of a classroom for like a decade. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or, or it just means I've been looking at the classroom in a different way, friend. Uh- <laughs> Okay. Piece of shit sees. I love it. Welcome to Come Strong. <laughs> Good morning, Unboxed. <laughs> Good morning, Unboxed. All right. So on this episode, you guys had Adriana Lefi Ramirez on the principal of Escondido High School. Why do you guys want to talk to her? Go ahead and start that one off, Rodrigo. Sure. Yeah. I thought, you know, when we, t- we talked to Adriana, um, she's a part of the Carpe College Access Network as one of our network schools. And, you know, she's been doing a lot of thoughtful work and she has a history and a background in doing some of the college access work. But what we noticed what, into listening to her story and learning her story, we noticed that it was a lot of the things that happened outside the classroom that were particularly impactful. So we wanted to highlight that story as one of our uh, uh, of our leaders who's making some significant changes in her sector, in her school, in her community. And so that was kind of the initial component. Sees, was there anything else that you, you found uh, particularly interesting in, in hearing her story? Well, in hearing her story, yes. But I mean, you know, Rodrigo and I run in so many different circles that sometimes he'll just bring somebody to the podcast and I'll just cold interview him, right? I won't have the time uh, to research him. So he's says, hey, we're going to interview this principal from up north. I look her up a little bit. I'm like, wow, Latina, great story. Um, Principal of a big high school. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. But the most amazing part is obviously hearing her story, her bio. Uh, There were times when I got emotional hearing her struggles as a single mom while trying to get her education. Uh, Just it brought back a lot for me and me growing up with my mother and always, or not always, but sometimes feeling like it was just us, 
Adriana brought all that back out in me. So to hear her story and then to hear what she's also doing as a principal, it, it was a powerful episode. Here's Cesar and Rodrigo's interview with Dr. Adriana Lepi Ramirez. Thank you, El, uh, La Reina del Norte, uh, Adriana <laughs> Levy Ramirez. Um, can I first introduce you to like some of the guests that are on phone with you or on the Zoom call with you? For sure. Sweet. So I have um, Cesar Fernandez, my, the co-host and actually the host of the Educated Guest podcast. Cesar Fernandez is a, a district in the, or uh, uh, an employee of a district down here in the South County that shall remain nameless. Um, I'll give you a hint. District in distress. <laughs> uh, Yikes. Yikes. That's a good hint. Also on the phone, we have our executive producer, um, Katie Yording, um, also known as uh, Miss K, um, on the phone joining us. This is going to be an experiment between uh, the graduate school, um, our publication, Unboxed, and then uh, the, po the podcast that Caesar and I, um, mostly Caesar, has been running for the last uh, three years now. Um, the Educated Guest Podcast. And so our the, the, the way that we've run podcasts before, we're super, super informal. We just want to get to know people um, on a human level, hear the, sto the origin stories of, of, of amazing educators, um, and then just have honest conversations because a lot of what we hear and a lot of what we see in education is, is patted down by this uh, – uh, sanitization of the truth and so we want to kind of get away from that and just have a real conversation so I'm going to probably cuss it's likely Caesar doesn't know any other words than uh, fuck that but tell me a little bit about where you grew up what you where you're from and what what your educational experience was like growing up what was that like for you all right well I uh I grew up in East LA it's a a little town called El Sereno um, high poverty, a lot of, a uh, large Latino population. Most of us were, um, Mexican or what we thought was Mexican. So like a Mexican Salvadorian or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, cause everybody's Mexican. Um, I, I can't say that I had a great experience. And I think sometimes that's a big challenge where, educators usually have another educator that they can say like this teacher really inspired me or really believed in me. Sure. Um, I didn't have that space. Mm. Uh, I saw that space live in um, my sister and my brother's journey, but it didn't necessarily live in mine. I am um, the youngest of three. So my, my older brother and sister were super, like uber smart and like captain of the football team. And I just wasn't ready to try that hard. So, <laughs> I mean, to be, to, to be, be honest, real, just to be real. huh? Yeah. So, you know, especially going into, you know, middle school and high school, you know, the teachers would get really excited to hear that another Lepe was coming into their classroom. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I had to make it real clear that they're not going to get that same Lepe experience with me. <laughs> I love it. Was it the eyeliner that let them know? <laughs> uh, you know, it might have been. It might have been. Um, so, you know, like most of my friends, we 
kind of jumped from one year to the next without any any real guidance, without any real direction. And my senior year was probably the first time we spoke to a college and career tech or counselor. And the conversation was kind of like, well, what community college do you want to go to? Mm. And I said, well, what do you mean? What community college do I want to go to? I want to go to Cal State LA because that's that was the local uh, CSU in my community. And, you know, she laughed at me, you know, and she was like, no, I'm serious. What uh, what community college do you want to go to? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said, Rio Hondo. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it, I, I just didn't realize that there were courses that I had to take and there was pathways that I needed to be on in order for me to get to Cal State LA. I had decent grades. I had C's and better. Um, but my, like my friends and I, we just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we, the majority of us ended up either at uh, East LA college and I went to Rio Hondo community college. And so this is a, this is a typical story that we hear with educators, you know, um, they didn't really have that rich experience um, in their formative years, but there had to have been a moment where you kind of turned that corner and it sounds like it was in community college, right? Um, maybe there was a professor that inspired you or maybe it was just the experience of being with others in community college where you said, hey, I got to make this move and I got to get to that four year and do such and such. When was that moment for you? Honestly, um, I think Honestly, that moment came for me when when I got pregnant with my son and realized I needed to figure out my life because I was having a baby. Mm. How old are you? I was 18 when I got pregnant. Wow. So, you know, I again, I wasn't the best student, so it wasn't like I left my high school um, just really prepared for for much mm-hmm. you know we i remember you know walking into high school high school classes and there was notes written on every chalkboard that lined every wall and we spent you know 50 minutes just copying the notes and that was class Damn. um so when i when i got to school and i struggled and i didn't know some of the basic stuff that i probably should have known i did have professors say you know, college isn't for everybody, Adriana. You just might want to rethink this. Mm. Piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. God damn. No, it was amazing. It was amazing. My self-esteem was great, really high at that point. Um, I did fall in love with history. Like, I fell in love with the subject. And I, I fell in love with the way some of my teachers talked about it, which made it so... Uh, just relatable and understandable and it was it was the way they taught me history that made me fall in love with it Mm -hmm. that led me to decide to to major in or at least get a minor in history and major in social uh, social science but um to say like somebody really like inspired me I, I don't think I had that, my friend. Dang. Like I, I think it really was. I knew I knew going into 
I knew I wanted to work with at-risk kids. That was my that was my jam. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with kids who represented my group of friends that didn't have the same opportunities that I had and ended up in jail or ended up dropping out or ended up um, just not making it. Yeah. And they didn't make it because they didn't have the supports that they needed in the spaces where they should have felt most safe. And so that's what I wanted to do. But I didn't know what that looked like. Mm-hmm. like no. I didn't know. I didn't know it was going to look like becoming a teacher and eventually moving into being an administrator. I just knew I wanted to work with that population. Was there a particular a particular moment where you're like, yo, I got to do this? Like, this is this is this is it for me because I know that we're gonna hop into your after school story because that's that's super important to the podcast. It's super important <laughs> to, to me and 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 you know my origin story. But like, was there a particular moment in which you realized like this is the population I need to work with? I I think it's just always been there. Again, I I probably like I lost my first friend to gang violence in middle school. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to like I could look back at my first grade class pictures and see little Robert De Leon, who was super sweet and a friend who, you know, didn't even make it to the ninth grade. Mm. And you know, the boys that I graduated um, like sixth grade with, I I I can't even remember graduating high school with them like i think they either moved away or they went to jail or they went to continuation schools um we were a small school we were uh, two classes two sixth grade classes Mm -hmm. and i don't remember anybody any of the boys from my sixth grade class graduating high school with me wow you know what i mean yeah so i just i knew like I knew that this was the space that I wanted to live in and work with those with that population, with the population that I grew up with. How does after school come into your world? So I again I got so I got pregnant. Uh-huh. I was 18. I I needed to work. Um well I was I was pregnant and I was a single mom. So my my son's dad left shortly after I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I had to work and I started working as an instructional aide at an elementary school. And I think, I think that was when I fell in love with teaching Mm. is watching the teachers like spark that excitement for learning and the creativity that, that they were able to use in, in, everything that they did whether it was teaching reading or math everything was creative and engaging and the kids were just so excited to learn Mm -hmm. and I think that's what made me fall in love with the teaching aspect Mm -hmm. sounds like you had a really good experience being in IA so I mean the teachers you worked with obviously were amazing I mean I know that it was my experience as an IA that really turned me on to be an educator. Um, so that honestly was the catalyst for you wanting to be in the classroom also? 
yeah, I think that was the biggest um, indicator that this is where I wanted to be was watching, watching how they literally changed kids. Wow. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, 100%. On this podcast, it makes sense. There are some places that it does make sense. That's but... what we want every adult on campus to be able to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, wait, so, so you're an instructional aide and then how to, again, like, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get harping on the after school stuff. But I'm curious. So <laughs> um, you know, I had I had a pretty amazing principal um at that elementary school. I was working at Sierra Park Elementary in in El Sereno. And the principal at the time was part of the after school program, like a movement that was starting LA's best. Okay. Um and I needed, I mean, again, at this point, I was already a single mom. I already had my son and I needed a job. So he, um, my principal was in charge of several schools in that area. They were like regional supervisors, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so there was a position that was open at Griffith elementary school. Um, I went, I, I applied, I interviewed, I got it. And I was their drill team coach. Hey. <laughs> so did you have so, okay so the real question is did you have the flags or the uh the shields which way was your yeah <laughs> yeah we it was all arms all arms, arms. Yeah. yeah all right i'll take it i'll take it all arms <laughs> love it and how, yeah how long were you how long were you in the after school space oh i was i was in after school for maybe like six or seven years wow. yeah i i went from drill team um you know we ran like homework club i worked anywhere from like the kinder kids to the sixth grade kids eventually oh. i became um i became a coordinator i went back to the site where i was an instructional aide and i was their after school coordinator Love so i coordinated it. yes it was great I coordinated the Beyond the Bell. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, East, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, so the East U services um, and the LA's best. And um, like, I absolutely loved that space. That's awesome, dude. So now, now it's confirmed a couple things for me that you are probably one of my favorite administrators because you have that much cred. Mm -hmm. I mean, not too many people have that that that, that much uh, after school cred, so that's pretty awesome. And was it the drill team? It was the drill team. It was that. And that no, <laughs> not, it was because you didn't have shields or flags. It was arms, straight up. That's it. You got, you got cred that way. And then uh, I definitely want to invite you out to Boost this year. Um, the one of the one of the best conferences for after school or expanded learning practitioners. Um, we would love for you to go, and we'll pick up your registration for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much. Oh, I'd love to go. I haven't been yet. Oh, you have not. It's 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 great. It's I think you're gonna really enjoy it, um, especially with your the the background that you have as a. Again, one of the things that I like telling people because like, you you've seen education through all these different lenses as an instructional mm -hmm. aide, as the after school practitioner, as a teacher, as an administrator, as all those different things make you a pretty informed and a pretty aware administrator you know what i mean and so i don't know that too many people will have that have had that experience typically they'll go and like what's weird is we're starting to see a lot of of younger administrators spend like two years in the classroom go get their admin credential finish the five years and then all of a sudden like they become ap's and shit like that um 
they don't necessarily have all the you know all the 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 lived experience or the wisdom that that someone like you might have you know what i'm saying um so there's something to be said about that so thank you so give us your catalog of work in education as a as a teacher and an administrator what what schools have you taught at what schools have you been in ap um obviously we know you're a principal but give us the whole catalog okay well i started um I started teaching at a charter school. It's not um, not the charter schools the way you you would imagine the charter schools, um, like you know having a like a choice school, if you will. We were uh, I worked at a charter school called Soledad Enrichment Action. It was out of Laco, uh, Los Angeles County Office of Education, mm-hmm. and what we did was uh, we serviced all of our at ri- all at risk kids. So. The students that came to SEA were the students that were just getting out of JCCS. Um, okay. So they were kids that had already been expelled from LA Unified. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was really nowhere else for them to go. They spent time in jail or LA Unified kicked them out. You know, they kicked them out of their continuation schools. And this was kind of their, their last chance. Mm-hmm. So I started um, at well, so just to explain it, there's 18 different classrooms. It's one school with 18 classrooms all over LA County. Oh, so wow. they were, they were from like North Hills to Pomona uh, and everything in between. So I started working in the Crenshaw area. Mm-hmm. That was my first classroom. Um, and that was back when they, you were allowed to teach under an emergency credential. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they were quickly coming through with the no child left behind and they were only allowing teachers who had full credentials to teach. So within a couple of years, I lost my classroom because I hadn't cleared my credential. Mm. Um, so I was in the credential program, but I hadn't finished. So then they moved me into special ed because special ed had a year. Um, they gave them a year grace period. So you could still work under an emergency for sped. Uh, so yeah. I worked in special education for the resource kids within the same within the same school system. So I worked at um, the South Central site. I still kept my Crenshaw site. I worked at North Hills. Um, um, it was North Hills and uh, there was one more school. I can't think of. Anyways, out by North Hills area, Northridge area. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for a year. And then when I got my full credential, then I went to uh, the Southgate site. I worked at Southgate for a few years. And um, after losing, um, after a few of my kids passed, it was really rough. And um, I decided to make the leap into admin and I was hired as an assistant principal through the Alliance for College Ready Public Schools. Okay. So very different, um, very different charter. And the exciting part, though, was that I was able to open a school site in Watts. Oh, right on. So we were eight, and we were able to build it pretty much, you know, from the ground up, from the curriculum to hiring the teachers. Um, to looking at our space and creating a learning environment for uh, for the students that we were bringing on board. So mm-hmm. that was exciting. 
but still, I mean, it was it was exciting. And I was working with a population that I loved and giving them, you know, just experiences and and, and ensuring that they were going to maintain an A through G pathway. But the opportunity to become an assistant principal at a comprehensive high school out in Riverside opened up. So um, I went from Watts to Menifee and I worked as an assistant principal for uh, Paloma Valley High School. So that was a, a little different. E- ew, Riverside. Ew. I can't. No, uh, you should say, when you said Menifee, both Caesar and I looked at each other with big ass eyes open like Menifee. Yeah. Yeah, that must have been a change. A little bit, yeah. It, the- it's um, it was a little bit of a culture shock. <laughs> My comadre teaches elementary in Menifee, and I remember her commenting that there were discussions in the teacher's lounge about why Cesar Chavez Day was a holiday. And I was just like, whoa, where do you live? So yeah, Menifee, I know it. Yes. <laughs> And how yes. long How long were you trapped out there? I mean, there, so I mean, residing, <laughs> residing out there. So I was, I was at Paloma for about three years. Okay. And then I transferred within the same school district. I transferred to uh, Paris High School. Right so on. I was at Paris High School for about six years. Right on. And were there some differences between Paloma and Paris? I know Paris is uh, a little more grimy, but I don't know Paloma that well. Uh, there were some significant differences. Um, you know, Paris High School had uh their full student body were students of color. So there were, you know, Latino and African-American students. Um, The kids were absolutely amazing. Um, A lot of poverty Mm -hmm. in that Mm -hmm. area. In in Menifee, um, I think when I was there, it was about like 60% white, 40% Latino, Mm -hmm. um, more affluent neighborhood. Yeah. so a, a population that I wasn't necessarily accustomed to mm-hmm. coming from the background where I taught and, you know, even moving into a, an assistant principal position, well, yeah, you know, working in Watts. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm, I'm curious about, man, because that, that transition already, given everything else being equal, the transition from teacher to administrator is tough. But given the culture shock, like how, how much more difficult was that um, making the transition from being a teacher to an administrator? That was probably the hardest for me. Um, mm-hmm. I think as as a teacher and working in the spaces that I worked in, we were able to have like very uh, just frank conversations. You know, we were able to argue and we were able to um, show our passion with loud voices and <laughs> animated, <laughs> you know, with a little more animation. Yeah. <laughs> that that wasn't that wasn't necessarily appreciated when I when I moved over to Menifee. <laughs> My, I, I like how you, I like how you're, you're you're being super diplomatic on all these right? responses. Right? I'm like super impressed. We I, I think we need to do another version with at least a bottle of wine, a glass of wine, or something, man. My Hado went to Heritage High School, and to be honest, it seemed like a high school that you would see like on a WB show or something like that. You know what I mean? It didn't. It didn't seem real to me from my high school experience or my teaching experience at all. So, I know Menifee a little bit. I know Paris a little bit too, because I have family there. So, so you dealt with some change. <laughs> Period. Yeah. 
So there was there was some serious change and and heritage within within that district. Heritage is kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. Right. It has a little bit of Paloma Valley, a little bit of Paris. So it kind of sits more in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have like kids at that. uh I mean, I guess that's the best way I could describe it, right? Paloma Valley is usually your more affluent. Um, they have probably, they, or at least at that time, they had the least amount of kids of color. Mm-hmm. Um, Heritage had a little more, you know, they were a little more Latino, but still had a, a, a strong um, white, white population. population. And then Paris, I mean, if you'd see a white kid, it was like a unicorn. Mm. Right. You're like, who is like, wow, we do have white kids. Like, there he is. <laughs> right. Or you think they were lost. Like, hey, buddy. Got it. <laughs> you looking for the office. And, and so how does the opportunity open up for you to come down south to Escondido? Uh, I had been uh, an assistant principal for almost a decade. And there were some changes in the district. And I figured, you know, this is my time. I, I think for a long time, uh, you doubt yourself and you think you need to learn more or get more experience in certain areas. And um, I looked and Escondido really had the demographics that I was looking for. Mm. It had the history that I was used to in working out in Paris and um, just looking at the school and reading about it. Uh, it just really felt like home. Mm. And I knew that was where I wanted to be. So I, I applied and I was lucky enough to get it. Now I, I'm officially the first person of color in, you know, 120 some odd years to call myself the principal. Yeah. I was just going to say it. I was just going to no. say it. I was going to say it. I was, I was, I'm, I'm super curious. Like day one boss lady walks in Latina, you know, principal, first time ever. What what is that? What are you thinking when you're walking in the first day, and you got the keys? Uh, holy shit! Yep. <laughs> yeah, you ain't lying, huh? Because everything is your responsibility from the trash to every kid, to every parent, everything is your responsibility, huh? Yeah, from the roundup they use to kill the weeds to you know. <laughs> And did you have anybody that was already working here, some kind of support system here in Escondido, somebody who kind of waved you in? Um, I came in really not knowing anybody. Wow. I I didn't have, um, I, I, I can't say I didn't have support. I did, I, um, I think my name came up as a candidate because um, the JDP, our mm-hmm. doctoral program through... Um, UCSD and Cal State San Marcos has a strong presence in this area. Gotcha. So I think when my department, my dissertation chair knew that I was applying, she reached out to some folks. And so I was given an interview. Um, so I did have support and I had people that I knew I could talk to. I just didn't know anybody. It wasn't like I, I already had a friend within the district. Right. Um, no, but I, I but think. I- I think it goes to show that your work locally actually like put your name out there on its own, right? Um, you know what right. I mean? That's that's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> it was it was a leap of faith, right? Because no one knows me. No one no one knows me out here. Like they don't know they don't know what I've done. They don't know 
my history yeah. and and you know um like i get to build i have to build that from scratch because it's not like oh i knew her when she was in the classroom and she was badass or yeah. i worked with her within this other space or we did drill team together <laughs> like no one knows <laughs> Well, that, yeah, she coached my drill team, my daughter in drill team, right? <laughs> She's cool. Right. Yeah, even at that, it's not like, oh, my son had her as a teacher. Like, right. I, people are literally learning me from now, like, from here, my present day. They don't, they don't, there's no history to say she has been or what I have done or things that I've accomplished prior to sure. being in this space. Sure. Um, but I think... I, I quickly learned um, my my colleagues, you know, my my friend Dr. Casas has been just absolutely a rock star with me and helping me uh, network and meet some fine f folks like mm -hmm. my friend Rodrigo here. So you know, one thing I do want to ask you about is, is I this. is I am totally familiar with the uh, the young mother going into education. Uh, that was my mom pregnant at 18 well actually having me at 18 and having to take me to college with her um, I'm curious that at this point when you become principal how far along is your son into his education Ooh. and how did how did your experience kind of shape your vision for what he was doing at school um I think because very similar right I I had him at 19 got pregnant at 18 had him at 19 but he spent a lot of nights at school with me yeah I've always said that he should have gotten his BA along with me right well, I've been there I've been there <laughs> yes uh-huh um but I think because I you know I worked so much and if I wasn't working I was going to school um I think I put a lot of pressure on him mm-hmm and when we moved out here, when we moved out to Riverside, we um, we kind of settled in in, in Marietta. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember, my son comes from East L.A., where, you know, they're putting their money together to buy a can of soda mm -hmm. from, you know, the ice cream truck mm -hmm. to being in a space where kids have three or four Gatorades in their backpack, mm -hmm. you know, um, so it's real. Yeah. I don't I don't think that he um he felt like he fit in. Um I think he dealt with a lot of racism. Mm. Um and I think he ate a lot of it for my sake because he knew that I was living out my dream. Mm -hmm. Like this was my path. So he I think he stayed quiet through a lot of uh like just real ugly stuff like Teachers mm. saying things to him, campus supervisors mm. um, telling him, like, this is America, you need to speak English. Mm. Um, people calling him like a beaner, mm -hmm. a cherry picker. Uh, wow. So, yeah, he had he had a really rough time um, in in that space. Uh, so he he rebelled a little bit, um, refused to be A through G fought me tooth and nail um his counselor um at his particular school didn't help either mm. um yeah just kind of like well he doesn't want to and i said what do you mean he doesn't want to he doesn't get to decide um <laughs> and i think i just think his counselor was also the counselor for the athletes so 
Like if you weren't going to a D1 school on a full scholarship, they didn't care about you. They just saw, I think they saw a little brown bean walk into their office with gauges in his ears and they knew he was going to be a piece of shit and they let him give up on himself. Damn. You know, Damn. they didn't believe in him and what he can do. And my son needed more than just me to be his cheerleader. And nobody else was cheering for him. You know, like your mom can say you're amazing and you're super smart until she's blue in the face. But if you hear it from somebody else, it means something. Yeah. Mm. And I don't think there was anybody there to tell him how amazing he was. Um, so the boy struggled a little bit. He ended up going to, uh, he moved to LA with my parents, went to East LA college and the boy ended up on the Dean's list. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, so it's not that he wasn't smart. It was, um, I think he was just defeated in high school, but he's killing it at community college. He's just passing all of his classes. He loves school. Uh, He wanted to be a high school counselor. Um, He took sociology and absolutely fell in love with it. So now he wants to be a sociology professor. Um, he's, uh, He's getting ready to graduate. Um, I think at the end of this semester and then he's transferring to hopefully to UCR to finish up his degree. Hey, man. So, that's, so, a, that's a tough story. That's yeah. a tough story. And really when it comes to... I know, to, I got through it without crying. Hey, I know. Hey, well, I was, I was, I'm proud of you, sis, because that's, that's hard. Fam, I got to tell you, I'm looking over at Rodrigo and I rubbed my eye at him because times. I was like, damn. That's it. This is, this is, this, like, so... The, the gems that you learn raising your son, like how that obviously influences how you lead your school. You know what For I mean? Sure. Like how, what do you, how are you communicating that when you're, t- when you're talking to your team or like what, what it, I, I want to, I want to know more about like how you communicate that message because people got to feel it. I know they feel it. We felt it on the on the on the other side of the hearing the story, but like how how do you communicate um, that, man? Like honestly, I think from like the onset, you know, from the moment I walked on to this campus, um, my message was always about all kids, like not just the kids that show up every day, not just you know the kids that want to do the work, but all kids. You know, the kid that's getting high in the bathroom, the kid that's, Mm -hmm. you know, just making poor choices. We're about all kids and all kids being successful. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I think it was a little overwhelming for some folks. Right. Like it seemed really unrealistic. Um, But I think at the core, the teachers Like they get it. Like they know, yes, like we have to be about all kids and um, making sure that the practices that we implement and the rules that we that we roll out are really equitable. And we're not creating those systematic uh, barriers that keep kids from being successful. And I'm not saying we're perfect, but we're always open to conversation and poking holes and and really using um, different lenses to see how we're impacting our kids. 
Hey, hey. That makes sense. Yeah, no, totally, totally, and it's 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 fucking awesome hearing it from like a school leader who's actually lived through it and uh, is like sharing it. You know what I mean? And the the manner in which we share things is is important. I'm super like two real kind of interesting questions, I guess, in terms of like what's been the biggest learning between stepping the first stepping foot on Escondido's campus to like joining Carpe and then like from Carpe to now like those two different are there two different learnings or is there one learning like what do you i'm curious if there was any difference in joining and joining the, the network um but i'm also I, I know for a fact that you there was tons of stuff that you 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 gleaned from just just being the 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 principal for the first time at, at escondido so i, I want to honor that too i think um i think some of the 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 biggest learning from being a part of the network was just really understanding and and just understanding that sometimes my team needs to hear it from a different space right so it it doesn't have to come from me and i don't have to um como te diré i think it was a lot of the things that i was asking to happen it was just that I was asking to happen and giving examples of what I would like to see. Mm. But being a part mm. of the network really gave them a space to, to make it their own, make it their own ideas, make it their own um, journey versus we're doing something that the principal wants us to do. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was huge. That was a big um like you need to get out of your damn head. You need to step back and let your people do what they want to do the way they need to get it done so that they could own it and they can love it and they can live it every day. Mm. How did you know right? that? How did you know that was the, how did you know that was the huge piece? Like, did you, was there a, a singular point that you remember where you're like, ah, that's the one or is it, has it just been an accumulation of like little wins here and there? I think I saw it like after our I th- honestly, I think I saw it when we were in the interview process to be a part of Carpe because, hey. right, I, honestly, because, you know, the things that we were being asked and some of the data that we had to collect kind of made people a little more curious about what we're doing. And then the interview process allowed people the space to kind of share um like share their uh, about themselves and what their passion is and how they support kids. And it became something that we, we knew we wanted to be a part of. And it really happened. Like it really gained that momentum after our first convening, like after Mm. the first time we met together and we had that team space and we were planning things out, I think it just got exciting, right? And they were able to own a lot of the movement moving forward. So then my role then just became supporter. Like, yes, what do you need to get it done? Absolutely. You know, it's no longer pushing, like, do this and do this, and we should do this, and how about we do this? Now it's them saying oh can we do this can we do that can we have a space to make this happen 
And then I just get to be like, yes. Yep. Done. Let's do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> remove barriers and remove obstacles and let them do their thing. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you need to make this happen? You know, mm. what's the big picture? Like what, like, like where, how do you want to live this out? What's in your way? And let me remove that for you. I love it. Fucking so, love it. And it's just been, it's been amazing the work that they've done. And this is a team of, of counselors that have worked together for a decade. Wow. And the work that they've really been able to do collectively is, I mean, well, you see our numbers. It's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to be a little over here touting all the numbers, but you guys are, <laughs> you guys are definitely leading the pack. Um, and well, we're lot. 72 kids away from hitting our goal. Woo! And, and I same. bet you those, there's a 72 kids that probably have already been uh, submitted something via like the mail. So it's going to show up in like the next four weeks. But, yes. you know, I, I I appreciate you bringing up the interview process. And thank you for that, because I do remember that interview process pretty, uh, pretty vividly in, in the sense. Do you remember the question that was that was like kind of everybody kind of I asked a question. Uh. And I don't know if everybody was totally ready for that question. And it was the second time I asked it, knowing that I was walking into that. Because you guys had had, I don't know, one or two incidents with um, with just, you know, outright racism on campus, right? With st the student body or something. And so the way that they handled the question was fucking awesome. But the question I asked was, like, this community has, an in has a history of institutional racism. Like, how do you guys plan on addressing that mm. and I, again i don't know that anybody was ready for that ready for that question but you guys all like were no we were taking steps like we're addressing it we knew this was an issue but blah 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 blah, blah and this kind of just sped up the process and it was super refreshing to hear just adriana really kind of take it on head on like you i don't remember you really kind of backing off i don't know could you speak to a little bit to like how leaders can get out of the way of their teams a little bit more um or what do you think that mechanism is though adriana like what what, what is it fear that keeps people so on top of their team or what what, what is it that because that's also a big piece of like just kind of stepping out of the way and letting the people do their thing right i think um so and like i said and like i mentioned before i'd already had conversations with um, like my admin team with respect to some of the things that I would like to see happen mm -hmm. so that we could um, remove barriers, uh, remove those barriers that keep our students from, from filing um, for financial aid. Um, so I think when we came into the Carpe space and the team time, I, I may have like given suggestions like, Hey, what if we did something like this? Like, you know, again, using our PSAT day, right. Where all of our, our, our 10th and 11th grade students are taking the PSAT instead of letting the seniors stay home and sleep. Like, why don't we bring them in and really kick off our FAFSA application? Right. And 
it took, you know, they, they had some questions like, what might that look like? And I answered what I thought, but then just kind of stepped back. And then they started getting excited, like, oh, and we could do this. And be like, yeah, you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like, well, what do we do with our freshmen? And then it's like, well, what conversations might we want to have with freshmen to prepare them or to let them understand what the four year, you know, like what their four year plan is? Like, might that be a space where we can do that? And then you kind of just drop some ideas and then step back and let them get really excited with knowing that they're going to have like a certain number of hours with the students. And it's it's all about college mm. that's a counselor's jam so just really giving you know i i think at least for me i think my team already had a lot of great ideas yeah. that were living in silos mm. right like this have this counselor has a great idea of what they would want to do and this counselor had a great idea of what they were what they wanted to do but we never really created a space where they could make those things come to fruition when they're all working toward one goal right that's crazy right and and I, it feels like the work that we've been doing helps de-silo a lot of what's happening on campuses and then it ends up being like college access is the initial conversation right like fafsa completions or whatever or you know sat uh signups or wh whatever that conversation is but it, it, it what we've noticed is it starts to surface some of these other institutional issues that you guys can totally address if you guys stopped working in silos right like that's right. that's huge and so that's i think that's probably one of the biggest learnings that we've had as a team like you know the these these practices and these segmentations of, of things that we do are really kind of agnostic they don't they're not s solely for college access therefore also for special ed students or you know ath athletes or whatever like you could use them in multiple a multitude of ways sees you were you had a question around I'm wondering, like, how do you build that trust with teachers to have these discussions to make some of these changes that you want? I know most of the work focuses around mm -hmm. counselors, but obviously, obviously, Adriana has to build trust within her teachers, too, to, to work and uh, not in the silos. So how do you build that trust? Um, I, we honestly, we used other teachers yeah. and it became more of a grassroots right? um, movement. Who, who, who would have thought, who would have thought, ask <laughs> teachers and teachers will do it. Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. So we, like, we started with Avid, obviously, because just the experience that Avid has with, you know, the whole, you know, financial aid and college and that's, that's their, that's their world. Um, and they went out and talked to other teachers that would be interested in supporting. And we said, okay. And we just started kind of building our, um, our teachers based on who wanted to learn more, who wanted to be a part of that process. And, you know, we sent teachers to trainings. We, when we do our big kickoff to college day, um, we have, you know, a team of teachers that do the financial aid packets with the kids. Mm -hmm. And that's the regular classroom teachers who just really wanted to be a part of that work and wanted to learn more for the next year. So we got them trained up so they can answer questions and 
feel uh, more comfortable in that space. And, I and think we're just kind of building capacity. And I think that's something that more principals need to understand and more instructional leaders need to understand is that teachers kind of already have their own networks. And, and it's like, oh, it's going to be so tough to push out this new, this, this new, uh, you know, let's implement restorative justice. Oh, it's going to be so tough because we're going to get pushback. No, there's actually a cadre of teachers on campus that want to grow that, yeah. right? Already, right. Already want to do that. Yeah. So you have to trust that there's already a network for that on campus as opposed to stepping on and saying, hey, I know this person does good work. Let me bring them in my network. I mean... Again, it's it's that building that trust and, and knowing that those people are already there. And, and that's kind of how you build those leaders, right? You build those le- leaders within that space. I'm curious. It's, that's kind of a good a good a good segue into the next component of what I wanted to talk about because I, I do want to respect your time and I want to kind of. Are we already put, at an hour? Or we're, what, we're a little we bit. We're a little bit. We're close to it. We're close to it. But I want. Sam, I, I, I wanted. I wanted to ask about. Does she have an assets program over there? Does she have an after school program? Some, yeah, at some point we'll talk about her after school <laughs> program. Like we will, because that, that's going to be on the boost thing. But like we just talked about trust and part of what uh, an expansion of or an extension of the of the carpe work is this. Carpe Alex stuff, right? And Alex is the advanced learning and uh, experiences program, right? And so we, we invited Adriana to come out to Cincinnati Children's Hospital and Stripe Partnerships in Cincinnati to see kind of both collective uh, collective impact in action and then also continuous improvement in action through Cincinnati Children's Hospital. So she was super, super integral in being a part of like what that learning was like. But something that came out of that experience was like, who do we want to be in part of Alex? And if you're going to be a partner of Alex or a participant of Alex, like what should you, in the spirit of, 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 of Netflix, right? What, what are the culture, you know, norms that you should embody? What, what should you walk into with? And I think Adriana does all of them when we send out the culture deck and we'll share the culture deck online with everybody. But the things that like we expect in, or the things that we look for in, our our Carpe Alex team members is like one this idea of trust right like how do you approach trust the next piece was like find and create value curate the space in the container develop um, self and system awareness practice love and compassion and then be intentional with your thoughts and your actions right and so Adriana does all of those right on an, on a daily basis I'm curious Adriana like after hearing that list and looking through the slide deck, like what pieces do you feel like really speak to you about that stuff? Or what pieces do you feel um, are things that every administrator should know or every, every school leader should be aware of? It's a big question, my friend. <laughs> I mean, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, again, like I, I just know, like, and you could just answer it however you want to answer it. Just don't even worry about the slide deck. Like, what is it that you feel like, like every school leader should walk out with, man? Because, again, y- y- I, I look to you and I see this, this leader and this quiet leader because it's crazy how like you're just kind of under the radar, but you're steadily moving people, doing things, right? Um, and like, I just, I'm just super, super fascinated on how you are able to change the culture of, or at least influence the culture of a school. Um, so I just, I just want to kind of surface some of that stuff because I know that there's listeners who are just like, I want to work for her. 
or I want to do the same thing that she's doing, that's fucking badass. Help us understand what that looks like. Ah, yikes. Holy smokes. Um, I think just creating, creating a space where people feel comfortable trying something different. People feel comfortable stepping out of the norm Mm. and, and kind of taking that leap of faith or like, let's just try something different because what we've been doing, isn't giving us the results that we want. So let's just step out. Let's try something different and let's, um, you know, let's fail forward. Let's, and, and just be able to create that space where it's okay for it to not be, amazing the first time around Mm. um and no we're learning together right like this is new for all of us we're all going to learn together but we're all going to get better together um i think really just building that that safe space and building that trust that everybody's going to do their part and everybody's going to pull their weight and we're all going to give it everything that we have and then we're going to come back and we're going to see what we've learned Mm. and just do better does that make sense um fuck yeah no i just uh, see what this is what what this is what i love this is what i love i love having these kind of conversations because these are the conversations that people need to hear man like people need to hear how we care about people how we lead people in these in these in these distressing times right mm. like how, we're creating space for people to take challenges to take risks because it's not you're you're you're, you're in a safe place to do that you know what i mean that's that's important adriana we're getting close to time here but i'm super curious like do you have any ask for any of the listeners like if there's one thing you can ask every single listener to do what would that be or what do you have i obviously go check out the website you know your website or your your you got a website your twitter handle or whatever whatever follow her on them twitters but what's the ask amiga what do you what 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 would you like for all of our listeners to do on your behalf uh i would ask um just to give a little bit of grace right we're all doing the best we can every day and um we make mistakes. We're human, and just give us a little bit of grace. Mm. That's it. Mm. Why am I getting emotional? Piece of shit! Ah, <laughs> oh, you did it to us. Okay, I didn't think I was gonna get emotional. I got emotional twice in this fucking interview. Thank you. <laughs> um, is, I, I gotta go vote, my friend. So I, we gotta wrap it up. I soon. know. I got. I gotta get out of here too. So. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hopefully the next time we have this conversation, it'll be uh, with a drink in hand. Um, Adriana, I don't know. I mean, Caesar, is there anything else you got? Yeah, like No, Adriana, I just really appreciate your time and I hope to meet you in person. You are an amazing educator. But more importantly, I wish your son uh, good luck on his journey through education because I was your son at one time. And so you really hit me with that. And I wish him the best. Woo. Thank you. Thank All right, you. sis. We love you. We love you. Love you. We love you. We love you. Thank you so much. Um, we'll be in contact. And, folks, that's a wrap. All right. Educated guest podcast episode. Whatever. Whatever. Whatever.
Awesome, Mom. For people who want to know more about Carpe and what you're doing, where should they go? Yeah, so you can head up uh, the, the Carpe website. It's uh, hthgse.edu slash college. Um, and we'll put the link in the show notes so that you can check it out. And for where do people find Educated Guests? You can find the Educated Guest Podcast at educatedguestpodcast.com or anywhere, any platform where you're listening to the A1 Top Shelf Podcast. So you're talking Apple, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, all that. Got it. For people who like want to get a feel for the show, like what are some good episodes to start with? Well, we got five seasons, so I'll just I'll just run off a few from the most recent season. And uh, Don Dumas, uh, former county teacher of the year, coach at Bonita Vista High School. That's an amazing episode. Um, we interviewed Stephanie Brown, who is the new principal of Lincoln High School in San Diego. That was an awesome, awesome episode. And then you got to check out a cat over at City College, a math professor, Dr. Rob Rubokaba, a.k.a. Professor Shadow, and the way that he integrates hip-hop into his math courses at City College. The dude's inspiring. And so if you give those three episodes a listen, you'll get a good idea of what we're about. Yeah. Um, conversation with Chris Emden was dope. There's a lengthier conversation, but I think it's worth it. Oscar De La Torre, he's a board member of Santa Monica, Santa Monica Malibu Joint Union. That story is freaking awesome too. Is that the one where Malibu tried to secede? Yeah, 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 yeah. We were right in the. They were right in the middle of like the Malibu is trying to take 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 themselves out of the district, and so. But his again, his story is awesome too. Like community member started a uh, started his own nonprofit as a recording studio, and then like was asked by the community to become a board member, and then became a board member, and then has been there and has continued to be there. Um, oh, uh, Jerry Udor. He's a teacher over in um, an Otay Ranch High School, AP uh, history teacher, freaking a gem of a human being, man. <laughs> that like it, that was one of the, the the interviews that got me emotional, really got me in touch with my humanity, dude. He's, he's a great guy. High Tech High Unboxed is written and edited by me, Alec Patton, except for guest episodes like this one. So today we say a big thank you to the team at Educated Guests. Cesar Fernandez, Rodrigo Arancibia, and Ed Nunez. Their interview with Dr. Adriana Lepi Ramirez also appears in the latest issue of Unboxed, which you can find on our website at hthunboxed.org. That's h-t-h-u-n-b-o-x-e-d.org. And you can order a real hard copy version there too. The whole issue is about continuous improvement, and it is just packed with goodness. Check the show notes for that Unboxed link, plus links to Carpe's website and to those other episodes of Educated Guests that Cesar and Rodrigo just recommended. Our theme music is Agassiz Into the Spider's Web by Brother Herschel. Thanks for listening.